Thank you, Brad. And yes, you're a cattle rustler, but it's okay. It worked out all well for you and the kingdom expanded, so I hold nothing in my heart. Uh, to Ben and Jess, I just want to honour you. Thank you. Um, it's always a privilege to be able to minister in the Word of God. And I feel emotional straight away because I feel the presence of God and I feel that He really has something to say to you from His heart this morning. And I, I prepared something. I got up early because that's what you do when you're on the Gold Coast because the sun gets up really early here. In Adelaide, we get to sleep in a little bit. But I really felt that the Lord wants to speak to you prophetically this morning as a church. And um, the, we're in a, a unique season in God. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But uh, I've had the privilege uh, of being part of the South Australian Prophetic Council and also the Australian Prophetic Council for um, Australian Prophetic Council for a number of years and have re-established myself there because the Lord told me to be a part of what he wanted to do within this nation in a different way, both apostolically and prophetically. And I was really, really blessed that the Lord was able to give me uh, a word that I want to share with you this morning that became the fundamental word in the South Australian Prophetic Summit um, and our time together as prophetic people talking around what God was doing in this nation and also for the Australian Prophetic Council. And Catherine Ranola just the other weeks preached out of this word effectively. And, you know, it's one thing to bring a word. It's another thing to establish a word. Does everyone understand that? So although a word is brought, it's an invitation. It's not a conclusion. It's an invitation to step into something. It's an invitation to lay hold of something that God is presently doing. And I believe in Australia, it, it does, don't look at the size of your church. Look at the size of your heart. I'll say that again. God does not look at the size of a church. He looks at the size of your heart. I'll say it a third time. He does not look to the size of a church. He looks to the size of your heart. It's because it's the heart as you receive him that you become empowered to operate in his capacity, not your natural capacity. Are you there? God is looking for a people that want to carry his heart into the world. You know, sometimes our life looks looks like it's going in the wrong direction. And Jeremiah, uh, sorry, Jonah had not taken up his calling, had he? And he was on the, on, got on a boat and he was going to the never-never land. He was going off with the pixies running what he thought was as far away from God as he could run. And God had another plan. You see, here's the point. Sometimes... We don't feel qualified to come into what God's called us into. And we get on this journey to say, I'm not the man for the job or I'm not the woman for the job, just like Jonah. And what God did was he made provision for Jonah's running away. He made provision for Jonah's rebellion. He made provision. What did he do? He put him on a course and he allowed God's storm to come up. It was God's storm where he was in the bottom of the boat, where he is mirroring Jesus later. And he had to make a decision about what his life looked like. And it was in the middle of the storm he realized God was his only calling. You can have a storm from Satan, you can have a storm from God, and you can have a storm of your own making. God uses them all for good. Satan creates a storm to get you off track. God creates a storm to get you back on track. And sometimes we have to come through a process to develop us for the next season. When Jonah came to his senses and saw what was really on his life and what was really valuable to him because he couldn't escape it, he knew it. But sometimes we get veiled by life circumstances. Sometimes we get veiled by insecurity. Sometimes we get veiled by fear. Am I talking to anyone this morning? But God is faithful. That's the story of my own life. God is faithful. And in the middle of rebellion, he puts a big fish 
in the ocean as his provision to get back on course. It took just one decision. Just one decision. Yes, Lord, I'm going to throw myself into the ocean. I'm going to throw all of who I am into the destiny you've called me to. I'm getting off where I'm heading and I'm getting in to trust you to get me where I need to be. Am I talking to anyone this morning? Sometimes we can look at the size of where we're at and what's going on on a Sunday and we live in the mundane and we live the day-to-day and it's hectic and it's bumpy and it's what the heck, I'm tired, I'm worn out and God says, but me. But me. For surely I've called you. Surely I will establish you. Jumps off the boat into a big fish. Three days he's in the belly. It's a picture, it's a shadow and type of Jesus. But here's the point. That big fish, the provision in his rebellion, because he made one decision, gets him to land at Nineveh. Where was he destined to be? Nineveh. In one decision, God could restore him back to the fullness of his calling. One decision. And God's got provision waiting for all of us where we're off track to come back on track. The provision is waiting. Just like Jonah. And he gets spewed out of the mouth of a big fish. Why is that a big deal? Because in Nineveh, they worship Dagon. Dagon is the fish god. Although although Nineveh is inland, the testimony would have been that a man appeared from the fish out of the ocean as a god to bring the word about the one and true God. God's means are not our means. God's ways are not our ways. We've got to stop restricting God and start moving with the Holy Spirit and what God's doing to allow it to be established. Making sense? So I've got a word for you this morning. I've got a word for you this morning. You're still on board. We're still friends. I I, I want to tell you that there's a meta-narrative, a big storyline of Scripture that will be fulfilled. And God is just looking for a people that will want to journey with Him, that will give all of themselves to Him to get on that journey. And it may not look like what we're used to. It may look a little different than what the church has been doing. It may look a little bit different than our religious ideas. In other words, we're not in a season anymore where we can limit God with making God look like us. We have to look like him. Are you there? So this is what's been happening. In the Australian prophetic counts, we we sensed that God was bringing the church back into prayer. Oh, there's a word we don't like. You know, one of the things that the ancients were known for, one of the priestly functions that we have is prayer, and it surprises me how much we don't know how to pray or insecure we feel when we pray, and we don't have a faith confidence that our prayers are even being answered sometimes. Am I telling the truth this morning? Sometimes we we just go, well, our words don't mean anything. You know, we're just praying, but I can't see anything. And I want to teach you this morning. I want to bring you prophetically into an understanding how we can pray effectively and how the protocols of heaven receive your words because they're the words of heaven in your mouth. When the words of heaven, when the words of God are in your mouth, You get to legislate heaven on earth. And I want to show you through the scriptures today. I want to take you on a journey through some scriptures. I'm going to bounce around some scriptures so that you will have a framework that I hope you will go away and investigate. Who wants to be powerful in prayer? Who wants to see the faithfulness of God outworked in their life? Anyone? I'm in the right house. That's good. So... There's little doubt that the church needs to recognize who she is called to be. And I say she because I'm not trying to be gender one way or another, but we're the bride of Christ. But we're also a mighty army. So we're a bride, sometimes people say, that wears army boots. So yes, there's intimacy, but there's also warfare. And our intimacy will lead us to properly position ourselves in warfare. 
And if we forget the idea that we are in a cosmic spiritual battle, we will get taken out. That's when we become vulnerable because we don't understand that there is a spiritual world in which we are living in. The ancient church and the ancients knew this, but modern thought says that's all ridiculous. So we just think it's about God and me and we'll all live happy thereafter. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that, friends. We are in a cosmic battle until Jesus comes back. And we are called to be his legislating counsel on earth from the reality of what God is doing in heaven. He has a council in heaven. He has courts in heaven. And he has the church on earth. We are the ground forces, but we've got to learn how to get the orders from heaven to establish them on earth. Are you there? So let me go through this. We are a spirit community, a spirit people. That means we are spirit-filled, spirit-led. And some people go, well, what do you do with the word? Well, the word is spirit. You can't understand the word of God except through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. You can't understand the spiritual dimensions of the word intellectually. Paul teaches the Corinthians that. He says you've got to understand this spiritually. And the next thing we have to understand is the Bible as an ancient text was not written to us. It was written for us. It was written to a people that had a different worldview. And in their worldview, it was not uncommon to understand angels, demons, spirits, gods, Elohim, and so on and so forth. That was normal. And in fact, it's normal for the apostles to talk about those things. Paul talks about principalities and powers. Who are they? Have you ever asked that question? Do they still exist? Yes, they do. Do spirits come and try and tempt us? Is there a spiritual dynamic around our world? Yes. But do we have a spirit within us that's greater than any spirit around us? Yes. You are the mountain of the Lord. You are the presence of God. And you're not just to operate by yourself, but you operate together. You become powerful. So the first thing that Satan wants to do in a church community is create division because he weakens the authority of that legislating governing body to bring forward heaven on earth. That's why he says he brings a blessing for unity. God says, I bless unity. Satan comes to cause strife, calamity, hurt. Pain. He starts to call you out of your calling. He will put anything he can in your way because he knows how powerful you are. And he knows how powerful the church is. Problem is the church doesn't. That's the difficulty. Because we listen to the world instead of listening to God. We listen to the world instead of looking at the word. We listen to the words of our past instead of listening to the revelation word of the Spirit speaking to us of who we really are. Our identity is secure as royal sons and daughters. You're not poverty stricken, you're royalty. You are a royal priesthood. You are kings and priests. That means you're designed by God in your identity to function as kings and priests. I don't function to get my identity. I function from my identity. Are you there? So once we know who we are and whose we are in the world, we can function in our calling. What is our calling? Every single one of us is a priest. But you go, that's not what I got taught because the guy at the front's the priest and I'm just the guy that comes to church. Right? That's what you've been taught for many, many years. That's what's been lived out. So you've been a spectator to what God's invited you into. It's not biblical. That's why you're getting knocked around. You see, when it was a time for kings to go to war, David was on a rooftop engaging in sin. Why? 
Why was he so open to looking over the rooftops? Ooh, look at Bathsheba, baby. All sorts of stuff came up. Why? Because he wasn't doing the very thing he'd been called to do in the season. God called him to do it. He became vulnerable. Are you there? Are you there? The reason we become vulnerable is because we haven't got our eyes and our heart where God wants them to be. This is how it works. So we see that Acts 15, the council of apostles, they say, well, God is rebuilding David's tabernacle. That's what he's doing. That's the church where David's tabernacle. And if you understand David, David was given a future grace to bring forward truths prophetically that were not yet. So Psalm 22 is an example. You might have heard it in this house. Psalm 22, David speaks detail upon detail of what happens to Jesus on the cross. So David is a priest, a king, and a prophet. And he brings forward the revelations of God of what is happening in the future. And what David builds is illegal under the old covenant. David built a future priesthood under the old covenant of Moses. And God allowed him to have a future grace without penalty to build a priesthood in the wrong covenant as a foreshadowing of what Jesus would come and establish through the Spirit. That's why they could say at Acts 15, Jesus is restoring David's fallen tabernacle and it now gets established through all of us being in Jesus Christ through the gift of the Holy Spirit. And David takes the old pattern and creates a new pattern. And that new pattern is he takes them off from the sacrifice of flesh in the outer court to the sacrifice of praise in the Holy of Holies. Because David's tabernacle never had a holy place or an outer court. Everyone who was once in the outer court is able now to be fully in the presence of God and give him the sacrifice of praise. There's no outsiders anymore. It's not just a, a, a guy that's the high priest who goes into the most holies once a year. Why? Because Jesus went into the most holies to open up a way for every single believer to be in the presence of God. Are you there? And in the presence of God, he says, here's the first thing I want. I want thanksgiving and praise. That's how you come in through the door. You don't come in through the door high and mighty. You don't do a Dermot Brereton. You know what I'm saying? You don't think you're it in a bit and you don't make it about you. You don't enter the courts with your worries. You don't enter the courts with your hurts. You enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving. That's how you enter into his presence. And see, what Satan wants you to do, he wants you to come and focus on you. And, and he knows that that will keep you out psychologically, mentally, emotionally of his presence. But when you say, no, not today, Satan. My God is bigger than my problems. My problems are not bigger than my God. If your problems are bigger than your God, then your God is too small for your problems. And that's where most of us live. But when God is the creator God of the heavens and the earth and nothing is impossible for me, when I gaze upon his bigness, what happens to my problem? Where's it gone again? Who is the one that is for me? Who is the one that is faithful? Who am the one that I'm joined to? Who is the one that loves me? Who is the one that moves towards me? Who is the one that has established promises for me? Hang on a second. All I can do is give him praise. All I can do is give him thanks. This is what David says. This is what David says. He says it in, in Psalm 100. Let's have a look. I'm going to find my notes. As you serve him, as you serve him, be glad and worship him. Sing your way into his presence with joy. 
Now, if you read David's Psalms, he's like the Prozac king, isn't he? Have you ever read the Psalms? What? He's had a rough trot. That was not going, it wasn't all smooth and nice for him, was it? Oh, Lord, these enemies, this guy, I'm this, I'm this, I'm that. I think I need to go to the pharmacy. I need to get some medication. I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. But he doesn't stay there. He doesn't, he, there's a but God moment in his journey. He says, but God, but God, but God. It's not going well, but God. Who's the lifter of my head? God. Not my mate on the phone who can agree with my disappointment. You know what we do? We, we find somebody who can become a misery guts with us. Is that too Australian? We find somebody who will agree with us and we both sit there. Let's have another drink. Let's have another drink of grief. No, I tell you the answer for grief is God and joy and praising Him because it's a sacrifice of praise to say, I'm not sitting in the pit. I'm going to sit in the heavens. I'm not bringing God down. I'm coming up. Are you there? That's what we're called to do. And David says that. Sing your way into his presence. Now that's going to be a challenge if it's not going well. But I've learned the sound of joy is my breakthrough. The sound of joy is my breakthrough. Sing your way into his presence with joy. And realize what this really means. We have the privilege of worshiping our God. For he is our creator and we belong to him. We are the people of his pleasure. We've got to change this mindset that God's disappointed with us. Not true. Not true. But you don't know what I've been doing. Yeah, God does. God does. Turn to Him, worship Him, and repent. Don't stay where you are. Come out of where you are with a sound in your voice that says you're bigger. You're bigger because I'm not living as who I really am. I'm not living how you see me. I'm not living how you've called me to live. But that's okay because I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you praise. And you know what David says? The moment that I confess that reality, God's grace comes towards me and he transforms me into who I really am. What? It's in the Bible. It must be true. It's in the Bible. Am I connecting with anyone today? You see, you are powerful, not powerless. You are victors, not victims. You are cold, not abandoned. You are sons and daughters of the God Most High. You are priests and kings to bring forward His spiritual realm on earth as it already is in heaven. That's our task. Because we've got to learn how to live free so we can get others free. We've got to learn how to live free so we can carry the authority God's given us. Come into his presence with thanksgiving. Can you imagine your world's not going well, but Lord, I thank you for my husband. I thank you for my wife. Marriage is not going well. I thank you for my husband and I thank you for my wife because I'm going to see them how you see them, not how I presently see them. I'm going to see the potential in this situation, not the gloom in the situation. I'm shifting my focus to your focus. Am I making sense? See, this is not in my notes, but I feel I've got to set something here. I wanted to be really teacher this morning, but I really feel I need to be very prophetic this morning. <laughs> You're all safe. Don't get scared. But you see, God wants, to, God, God wants to change some thinking this morning. Because you've got a destiny that's bigger than you ever dreamt of. You've got a calling that is so needed to be established in this nation. And we can't keep living in the place we've been living, we've got to start to learn how to come up into what he says, what he calls us to be, how he sees us. And we can't keep living from how the world sees us. We've got to keep living how he sees us because that's what he's establishing us in. And that's revealed to us through coming into his presence. Praise and thanksgiving. 
you know, I find it amusing that Yongi Cho said that he took a group of 150 American pastors. I'm not going to say Australian because they weren't there, but American pastors. And he took them to a prayer summit. And he got them alone in the room and they lasted 15 minutes before they ran out of puff. They had nothing more to pray about. Now, if you want to praise God for all of his attributes and magnify his name and give him thanks for everything that he's done for you, I promise you will not finish inside three hours. You see, sometimes we don't know what to pray about because our list has run out. It's not about presenting your list like you would to Father Christmas. I've been really good and nice. I want my bike for Christmas. Do you know what I'm saying? It, that's not what this is about. Prayer is about positioning your heart with God's heart to see what he has already established for you to pray into and establish on earth. It's about shifting your heart to his heart. And you, the first act of prayer is praise, is thanksgiving. Now you're in his court. Now you're actually in a place that Revelation 5 describes. You're around the throne. What's going on around the throne? 24-7. In a thunderous, thunderous sound. There's no soaking around the throne. There's a time for soaking. There's a time for soaking. There's a time for deep reflection. But not when you're around the throne within the heavenly realm. You sang about it today. You say, I'm bringing the amen to what's going on in heaven. That's right. The sound of the church and the sound of heaven should sound the same. And it's thunderous. Or a bit of echo. It's thunderous. It's the sounds of many voices. It's like rushing waters. It's excited. It's joyful, but it's reverent. It's laid down before the king, and it's holy, holy, holy. I want to tell you, you get caught up into that place. All you're doing is tuning in to God's heart. Oh, Lord, this is amazing. And here's the spiritual law. Who and what you behold is what you become. Who and what you behold is what you become. And this is why God was against idolatry in the Old Testament. Because the idols they beheld made them deaf, dumb, and blind to the spirit realm of God. When you put self at the center of worship, you become an idol worshiper. And you will not be able to hear the sound and the voice and the revelations of God. The way you transfer yourself is through the protocols of heaven. Are you there? That's why praise is so very, very important. Praise and thanksgiving is very, very important. The next thing we need to know is that we are called to be a legislating body. We are called to release on earth that which has been opened up in heaven. And we are called to release on earth that which has been bound up in heaven. Now, when Jesus made this statement in Matthew 16, he did it at the foot of a place called Mount Hermon, which is also a place called Bashan, which is also called a place, the same place, Caesarea Philippi. Now, why does, God make that, why does Jesus make that statement there? Because that right there is the place where they worshipped Satan. Where the angels in Genesis chapter 6, the Elohim, fell and produced Nephilim. Oh, you said Nephilim in the church, Paul. Like, well, it's in the Bible. Right? Hybrids. And God had to send a flood to deal with with the calamity that those hybrids and sin was producing. So now Jesus stands in the very place and he says, I'm building something 
that the gates of hell will not prevail against. I'm building a people that will know how to come into heavenly places from the revelation of who I am, therefore the revelation of who they are, to become priests and kings, to legislate heaven on earth. I have not forgotten what I wanted to do in Genesis. Understand? So praise and worship and thanksgiving bring us up to a consciousness to be able to hear. Now when we're able to hear, we're able to agree with heaven. When God's word is in your mouth, it's as powerful as if it's in God's mouth. When God's word is in your mouth, it's as powerful as if it's in God's mouth. And when God spoke through the Son, what happened? Things came into order, it came into alignment, and creation was established. Your words are not meant to bring calamity, strife, death, and disorder. Your words, agreeing with heaven, is meant to bring forward God's peace, His government, His freedom, His release, and His establishing. Our words are powerful. That's why God's raising up the prophetic once again. And he's raising it up right in this house. I, I, don't, see, I don't believe there's just two people that are prophetic in this house. I believe God is calling you to be a worshipping, praising, prophetic, word-based church. I believe God is establishing you in something or break open a region. Who believes that? Who believes that? You see, he, let me tell you about a spiritual law. I can say something, but your amen establishes it. Not for me. I, I don't need your amen. I've already got an amen from heaven. Because Jesus said amen to that and you didn't. But that's okay. So I'm not looking. You know what I'm saying? I'm just trying to help you. You see, see, when you hear a revelatory word and it goes into your heart and there's an agreement in the spirit with the spirit of the word and you say amen, let me tell you what the amen is doing. It says establish it. Amen is not yeah. It's not just yes, amen, so be it. The word actually means so establish it. When you bring an amen, you're saying, establish it just as it said. You establish it just as it said. So when you've got a revelatory word, when you've got a prophetic word that's coming out and it's hitting you in your heart, your amen says, there's the witness so I can establish it. Because everything's established by the witness of what? Two or more. If I have two or more of you agreeing on any matter touching earth from heaven, what will God do? Establish it. Amen. See, the Western church has been taught to listen, not participate. And you, you're being very nice, and you're being very orderly, and you're being very Western. But here's the point. If I'm speaking anything that sounds like a witness to your spirit because you're listening with your spirit, not just your head. You're listening with the spirit because the words I speak are spirit to spirit, life to life, heart to heart. What happens is something starts to go off in you. Something starts to enlarge in you. And Jesus starts to make his presence felt in you. And you start to see yourself in the eyes of Jesus and Jesus in the eyes of yourself. You start to become into this divine transfer that's going on in the spirit, but we haven't brought our consciousness to it because we've been taught to come to church intellectually, not spiritually. Is that okay? You know why? Because when we start to listen spiritually and intellectually, our spirit it grasps things way ahead of what our mind can. But I can't live a new life unless my mind catches up with my spirit. See, you, you, you would have been told, well, it's 12 inches between my brain and my heart, and my heart is catching up. No, your heart's way ahead of your brain. 
Your brain can't cope with the magnitude of what I'm saying, but your spirit is being enlarged. <laughs> so I'm transformed the way I live by the renewing of my mind, not my heart. My intellect, my framework has to catch up to God's framework through his word and revealed through his spirit. And when God reveals things through his spirit into our heart, it enlarges us. And now what we're meant to do is we're meant to meditate on it. We're meant to agree with it. We're meant to go, wow, what happened there? I don't, I don't fully get that, but I'm getting that. Something inside of me is going, is anything going off inside of you this morning? Anything. You see, see your heart is way ahead of your head. But if you're led by the heart because you believe in your heart and confess with your... So your, your actions follow your belief. If you can believe it, it can be established. Faith precedes the establishing in the natural. Faith is the now reality of the substance of something in the unseen realm. And when you come up through the gates of praise and worship and you sit up into the heavenly realms and the Holy Spirit is showing you stuff, the Holy Spirit is showing you something that now you can agree with and bring agreement to. And here's the thing. When the Holy Spirit brings that word and you start to declare it by faith, God can establish it in the natural from the unseen. That's the kind of prayer God's bringing you into. Let me show you. Let me show you. Let's go to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. And prayer, by the way, is just a conversation with God. God is a bit like UltraTune. You ever seen those ads? UltraTune? They speak your language? Is it a South Australian thing? But UltraTune ads is all different accents, all different kinds of people speaking very weirdly, but the mechanic understands what the problem is. So God's a little bit like UltraTune. He speaks your language. So God will speak to me in a certain way, but he'll speak to you in a certain way. Why? God doesn't speak in a way that you won't understand. He speaks to you in a way you will understand. He actually uses expressions and metaphors that he knows you'll understand. Now, sometimes God will speak to you in visions and dreams, and he will speak to you in obscure ways. Why? Because he wants you to do a bit of legwork to work a matter out. Why? Because the truth that he's hiding is more valuable than a simple conversation. It's the glory of God to conceal a matter it's the glory of kings, who's a king? Just told you you were, to search a matter out. And so sometimes God speaks very clearly, and then it's like he's gone missing. Like, what the heck? What have I done? Have I sinned? Have I what? But he's saying, no, no, no. You see, I want to take you to a deeper place, and I want to show you deeper mysteries. But I've got to see how you steward the relationship and the voice for you to come into a trust to carry the deeper things. Because he doesn't want to tell you something you can't carry or you can't handle. He doesn't hide them from you. He hides it for you. Are you there? So let's have a look at prayer. And let's have a look at the power of prayer and the necessity of prayer. Why it has to take place through these gates that I've been speaking about. Through praise, through worship. So what we see immediately is Praise, worship, thanksgiving, and prayer and the prophetic go together. They, the protocol to get into the prophetic is praise, worship, thanksgiving, intimacy, that you can position to hear his voice. Does that make sense? So often we come to prayer wanting God to hear our voice. But effective prayer starts with hearing his voice from a process of praise. 
And I can promise you, as you minister to the Lord, because that's our priestly function for which we're anointed, to give him praise, to give him thanks, to give him those things, there's actually a grace, there's actually an anointing on us to do that even when we don't feel like it. Even when we don't feel like it. I mean, who comes in and says, you just had a really bummer of a morning. And the last thing you want, you're at church and well done, but the last thing you want to do is sing songs. So if you, if you think you're just singing songs, you'll miss the opportunity for your transformation. <laughs> because it's a sacrifice of praise that empowers you out of your present condition into an empowered position. So that when you leave, you leave differently than the way you came in. I don't know about you, but I, I, I want to go to a place where if I'm coming in one way, I want to go a different way. And in fact, in the Old Testament, a priest was not allowed to leave by the same door that they came into the temple. Because it's forbidden for a priest to be in the presence of God and come in through one door and leave from the same door. You can't, when you've been in the presence of God, when you've really been in the presence of God, you cannot leave the same way you came in. And, and we are participants in that. Do you know that God, that, that God waits for you every time you meet? You know that Jesus is waiting to inhabit your praises? And as you sing praise to him, as you give glory to him, he inhabits it. He, he comes down to take you up. The glory comes down so you can come up. I've just seen this way too many times. We went through a season of high praise and the glory was breaking out and people were going into encounters with Jesus all kinds of radical stuff was breaking out. God wasn't coming down. He was coming down to take us up. Because he wants you to see the things that are going on in his courts, in his governmental realm, his judgments, his edicts, his precepts, his legislation. Why? Because he wants you to see that so you can establish that. So that it can be your words. So his words can be your words. His words can be your words. That's, that's the prayer of a righteous man that Elijah demonstrates. You know, in the Bible it says the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. It's powerful and effective because a righteous man hears God's voice, not his own. Let me demonstrate it. At Rephidim, Amalek came out and fought against Israel. Now, let me, let me give you a context of this. Amalek are the Amalekites. Amalek is the grandson of Esau. Esau is the firstborn son of Isaac. Still with me? Isaac's the son of promise. He had two sons. Esau, firstborn. Second, Jacob. Jacob means deceiver. Jacob's name was later changed to Israel. So Jacob is Israel. Now, when Esau, who was a man of the field, came home and he was famished, he was willing to exchange his birthright for a pot of stew. Imagine that. See, you have a birthright as a firstborn son, the same as Jesus, to inherit the kingdom. Do you want me to say that again? Every single born-again believer is treated with a birthright as a first-born son, which is a double-portion inheritance. Only in the Old Testament would the first-born son receive a double-portion inheritance. And the double-portion inheritance is not for you. It's for you and for your family. The double-portion is so that you've got more than enough to give away. Are you hearing me? And so we are double portion sons of inheritance in Christ. Most of the church doesn't understand this. You're a double portion son. So Esau doesn't care too much about his birthright. He's more worried about the immediate concern of his stomach. Silly, that's the spirit of stupid right there. He doesn't value the birthright. Now, here's what will happen. 
Esau becomes concerned that his younger brother tricks the father to give him his birthright and he has murderous intent towards Jacob and therefore Israel generationally. Amalek carries that same spirit of murder against Israel. You still with me? But here's the point. The spirit of Esau is the spirit of apathy. When the church becomes apathetic about its birthright, about who it is, who it's called to become and what it's called to establish, it is operating under the spirit of the Amalekites, which is robbing them and warring against them for their inheritance. Let me show you. Moses said to Joshua, Select some men for us and go fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the hilltop with God's staff in my hand. Joshua did as Moses had told him and fought against Amalek while Moses, Aaron and Hur, Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. While Moses held up his hand, Israel in the valley prevailed. Are you there? As Moses on the mountaintop held up the staff and he held up the authority, they were winning in the valley. When his hands came down, Joshua was losing in the valley. Do you understand that? When Moses' hands grew heavy, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat down on it, so that he was seated on the hill in and on the rock. Where are you seated now? In heavenly places with and in Christ. That's a shadow of the reality you now live in. But I want you to see who's up the mountain. Is it just Moses? He's the prophet commander. Who else is with him? Aaron. Who's he? The high priest. Oh, the priestly and the prophetic are working together. Now who's her? It's not Ben-Hur. It's her. It's her. Miriam's husband, which is Moses' sister, that's his brother-in-law. So picture this. Who's on the mountain? His brother and his brother-in-law. Those who are naturally joined together and those who are joined together by marriage. You're joined together by marriage in Christ. Hello? That speaks of the body of Christ on a mountaintop. Not just the prophet, not just the priest, but when the prophet and the priest are getting worn down, when the authority is getting worn out, they come together and they hold it all up together. Why? Because they know this truth. If they're winning in the heavens, they'll be winning in the valley. See, the church keeps trying to win in the valley without winning in the heavens. You can't. Period. So we go after things in the natural. God says that's not what you're called to live. You establish it first in the spiritual, then, oh, God speaking, establish it in the natural. Because Joshua in the valley is not Joshua. It's a shadow and type of Jesus winning your battle. You sing about it. He fights my battles. Why? Because I trust him on the mountaintop. I thought that was a really good point, Paul. That was amazing. You've got to help me here. Otherwise, I'm going to sit on the rock. I'm getting a little weary. You see, we do it together. But we've all got to come up. And the priest and the prophet, who's the priests in the house? Not Ben and Jess. All of us. Who are the prophets in the house? All of us. Who, who's got governmental authority in the house? All of us. What does unity look like on a mountaintop? Power. It looks like all of us. That's true. And you see, what happens is we've got to understand 
We will get beaten in the valley if we're not winning on the mountaintop. And the church has forgotten how to pray. The church has forgotten how to be powerful in prayer. It's forgotten who they really are on the mountain of the Lord. Because if Christ has seated you in heavenly places, according to Paul, it's so that you can hear the counsel of God and establish it on earth. Because your governmental realm is not heaven, it's heaven on earth. It's delegated authority. You're seated there so you can hear and see what God is doing so you can do it on earth. Like what? This is how powerful the church is really meant to be. But if we lose this apostolic foundation, this biblical foundation in our life, we, we fight our wars in the battle, we get worn out, we get struggled. Hey, I can't win. No, because you're not meant to win here. You're meant to win there so you can liberate here. And then Jesus steps in. Jesus steps, God steps in. He sends his angels concerning you. Why? Because the angels are there to assist you and I. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. So he sends the angelic and God's kingdom miraculous realm into our situation. What does it need? Faith on the mountain. It needs faith on the mountain. How do I get there? Praise, worship, thanksgiving. Now I shift my focus. Now I can see. Now I can build my faith in you. Now I can remember the power of the testimony. You've done it again, Lord. You did it for me there. Do it again, Lord. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. Where else shall I go? I'm better here than a thousand days elsewhere. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to live from. I want to live from the sound of your voice, from the sound of your presence, from the reality of your glory into the world. That's why you've been born again from above. Just about done. So then we see this. The Lord then said to Moses, write this down on a scroll as a reminder and recite it to Joshua. I will completely blot out the memory of Amalek under heaven. And Moses built an altar and named it, the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. Do you know what that means? When a troop would go into battle, you would fly the banner of the one of your king who you're loyal to. It's a battle flag. It says, when I worship God, when I hold up his authority, when I hold up the power before him, he comes with a banner. And you know, whenever, whenever Israel moved from one location to other, whenever it went into battle, do you know the tribe that was at the front that would carry the banner? Judah. Praise. Israel would literally praise and sing their way into victory. That's what David says in Psalm 100. I'm singing my way into my victory. I'm not worrying my way into victory. I'm singing my way. Can you imagine that kind of church? Can you? That's a different looking church, isn't it? I haven't found that church, but I'd love to find that church. I'd love to be a part of that church. I'm trying to be a part of that church because I'm saying I've got to shift my mindset. Because I, I can bleat, I can whinge, and I can complain, and I can agree with my circumstances, or I can get on the mountain with a sacrifice of praise and change my circumstances. I can come, become the breakthrough so that others may break through. Then finally, the word is in Elijah. And Elijah in 1 Kings 18.41, we know the story here. This is where there's a great showdown between the prophets of Baal and the prophet of God. The prophets of Baal were brought into Israel under a king that was not loyal to God, but loyal to Jezebel, his wife. In other words, Ahab did not exercise kingly authority to keep Israel holy to their God. He allowed another, a counterfeit prophet, to come in and start to be part of Israel. They were in mixture. Are you hearing me? Now, 
the spirit of Jezebel is not linked to a man or a woman. It's a spirit that can trade through a man or a woman. But it needs an Ahab to function in any community. Where there's no Ahab, Jezebel can't trade. In other words, the role of leadership is to keep the church pure to the things of God. To the pure prophetic, not mixture. Now when mixture comes in, God has to deal with it. We are in an hour in the world where God is dealing with the mixture of the prophetic in the nations. God is establishing authentic prophets, governmental prophets again, because we are in an hour of warfare, not just everything being encouraging. Yes, we have encouragement. That's great. We build each other up. We exhort each other. We need that. But beyond that, we are in a battle. And God is about to release governmental prophets that will know how to announce a matter before it happens so that the church can prepare to be ahead of the world, not keep responding to the world. And this is the word I brought in South Australia. And it's for, for, for the nation. Because what we see is, Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat, drink, for there's a sound of a rainstorm. See, God had shown him and he declared something that was coming, but it wasn't yet. So he spoke to the king. In other words, the church is going to be positioned through governmental prophets to announce things that are going to happen in nations. That's God's always, that's always God's intent. And then what happens is that Ahab goes up so Ahab went to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the summit of Carmel. He bent down on the ground and put his face between his knees. Now here's the key. This next season is not just the prophets declaring something. It's going to be the church establishing something on the mountain of God. Mount Carmel is a holy mountain. It's the place of intimacy. It's a place where Elijah bent down. Now, what's he bending down? That is a posture of praise and surrender. But he bends down and he keeps praying. The word he heard had to now be established in him and through him. And as he establishes the word, he checks to see if it's manifest. So he says to his servant, go out and check. Seven times that happened. And on the seventh time, God established it. Was it full-blown? No. It was just a cloud on the horizon. And then that was enough of the manifestation of the word that had been birthed on Mount Carmel. Are you hearing me? See, we're in a season of not just praying once, but praying until we see it established. It's not just a single prayer. It's a tarrying prayer so that God can form it in us and God can form it through us. And then when we sense it in the spirit, you'll start to see the manifestation. That's when the church has to give another declaration to the world. You need to go up now. Things are shifting. You need to shift your direction. The rain is coming. You see what's God saying? There's a new season. The rain is coming. So you've been in a season. We're not in that season. We're in a season of rain. And in a season of rain, you don't do what you did in a season of drought. You've got to shift with the season you're in. And then Elijah, under the power of the Holy Spirit, runs ahead of the king's chariot. What's that a picture of? The church being ahead of the world, not lagging behind. See, so much of the church is in reaction to what's going on in the world instead of declaring what's going on in heaven. We are in a new season, guys. We are meant to be pioneers. We're meant to be forerunners. We are meant to be ahead of the world, not catching up to the world. We've been so busy trying to be relevant, we haven't been resistant. We haven't stood where we need to stand. And I promise you now, the Gold Coast need our community to stand in Christ and then be seated in Christ to establish the things that God wants to do for the benefit of this region. And he doesn't mind if there's two people. He used one person, but his goal is to use all people. 
See, the question is, where do you want to be in this season? Do you want to step prophetically in to what you sense God is bringing you into? Some of you have got a prophetic gift that is going to... You can be activated today. And you might say, well, I don't have a prophetic gift. You don't yet. Because I bet you've never stepped into it. I bet that you've never thought that you could actually hear God and do these things. But here's the truth. You're called as a people to do these things. You're called to be worshippers. You're called and anointed to be priests and kings to hear the word and establish the word. In your life and through your life, you're called to bring the dominion, rule and reign and the government of heaven through your life to liberate others, to set them free. But you've got to be free to set other free. You know what I'm saying? Jesus has set you free to set others free. He's given you anointing to set others free. He's called you to be powerful. And we can look at the world and go, it's going to pot. There's problem after problem. Evil is everywhere. What's the solution? Tap your neighbor on the shoulder and say, you are. We are. We are the wisdom of God to be made manifest into the world. Amen? I want to play a song because I don't want to leave you just with a word. Can anyone feel the presence of God? Is it just me? Who, who's got something that's going flip? Uh, this, this is me, or I want this to be me this morning. That you're, you're feeling something in you that's going on. Be bold now, because I want to activate you this morning. I, wanna, I want you to do business with the Lord. See, I, I, I can say a lot of things, and you'll forget it over lunch. Or I can say a lot of things that your spirit is saying yes and amen to that can be established before your lunch. So that you leave here different than the way you came in. Is there anyone that wants to do that? Anyone at all? Yeah. So we're going to play this song. I'll tell you why I want to play Darlene Check. I don't know if many people know, but she had a real battle with cancer. Real battle with cancer. She is cancer free because she worshipped her way to healing. She worshipped her way to her healing. Worship is more powerful than we will ever understand. And when we worship in a minute, I just want us to put Jesus back at the center. See, Jesus, this is his community. Yes, it's our community, but it's his community. He is the center. He's the one that enthrones himself in the center of this congregation. And all of us, all of us surround him like it is in heaven. And we lay down our crowns. It's not about us. It's about the lamb that was slain. It's about the king of the cosmos and who he is. So that's who I want you to do business with right now. You can come to the front. You can lay on the floor. But I want you to come into an agreement. Not because I tell you but because the Holy Spirit's calling you. My notes, which I didn't get to, are actually on my website. If you're interested, you can see I actually do know the Scriptures. If you've been like Esau, just say, God... I want to value what you've given me.
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Just let him in. all about you, Lord. Be our center, Lord. It's all about you, Lord. Pour out your grace, Lord. Come on, tell him. Tell him he's your center. It's all about you. Come on, tell him. Because he loves you and you love him. Because you highly value what he's won for you as your birthright. Thank you, Jesus.